Festival One podcast. Atenei te ara kei runga, ko te aro, atenei tipua, ko te aro, atenei ariki, ko te aro, o te matua a iwi. Ko te aro rangi nui e tūnei, ko papatuanuku e tako tūnei, kia rarawi i oa i atapua e atane, tenei te pua. Nau mai te ao tūturu whakamaua ki a tīna, tīna, hui e, tāi ki e, tēnā ratatau. Nei rā te mihi ki a koutou, welcome to this kōrero around all things to do with uh, Christianity, church, the treaty, uh, Māoridom. Um, it's kind of a very open conversation. So um, as Meredith was saying, there is an opportunity to ask questions. Um, we will not answer all of the questions and um, we may not have the answer to your question. So please just keep that in mind if we don't answer your question. Um, Sometimes we get asked questions or I get asked questions in these types of settings that have no relevance whatsoever to what we're going to talk about. So um, just keep that in mind when we go into this next part. So um, who am I? Kite taha o tōku papa, ko ruapehu te maunga. Kite taha o tōku mama, ko taranaki te maunga. Uh, so on my father's side, I hail from um, Ruapeu or the Wanganui River. My dad is from a place called Pipiriki. Does anyone know where Pipiriki is? Perfect. So my dad hails from Pipiriki and grew up in a small community called Jerusalem up the Wanganui River. And uh, my mum hails from a small place called Urenui. Um, and Taranaki. So I come, um, I guess, from a rural backdrop. Um, however, I grew up in Waitara in Taranaki. Yes. <laughs> I grew up from, in Waitara, and um, I guess I have grown up in a predominantly Māori community in Waitara. When I was about 12, 13, I started going to youth group in Waitara, and I did the prayer, we all held hands, said the Jesus prayer, and I became a Christian. Um, and then I got introduced into the youth band the next week, and that was it. I was um, fully committed to the church. Um, and so I've, I've had kind of from 12, 13, um, walked on this journey with Jesus, um, but also struggled with being a Māori in the mix of that. Um, because as we all know, uh, most churches are run in a Western way of doing things. And um, from what I've known growing up in a Māori community, um, we have practiced this church concept and different in a marae setting. Um, and some of you may have had the experience of standing in a marae or in a Māori setting singing and feeling the presence of God within that context. And so that's what I grew up um, in. I moved to Auckland. Um, Went to Edge Kingsland, and for those who, I still go to Edge Kingsland, went to Edge Kingsland, which is a very different setting to that what I was just explaining. Um, and so I was kind of taken into a space where it was predominantly Pākehā in my environment, and I had to quickly, um, I felt like I needed to let go of the way that I was brought up to kind of fit into that context. And then um, as I've journeyed on, I've felt like God has been helping me to connect both of those worlds in a way that's been authentic to who God's created me to be. And so um, as I've journeyed along that way, I've happened to fall into spaces like this on a stage 
um, having these conversations with all, all different types of people. And it gives me great hope that people turn up to these conversations because I think it's about time. And we are seeing in society that there's this real desire to understand what our responsibility is as New Zealanders, um, what our responsibility... Um, kia ora, mate. <laughs> Um, what our responsibility is as a Christian or, or a believer in Christ um, in, this, in, in Aotearoa. And so I am, I guess, falling into these spaces and places where I um, have the privilege of facilitating conversations like this. Um, as I said again, I don't have all the answers, but I love that we can actually talk about this. And about time we started having these conversations within a church context or within a Christian context. Um, so thank you for turning up, and I'm just going to hand it over to um, my two beautiful friends to introduce themselves, and kia ora tato. Kia ora. Kia ora ko Petrobagas tōku ingoa. I uh, grew up, was born in Wellington, Whanganuia Tara. Can you hear? Oh yeah, he's fixing it. And uh, left there when I was eight years old and moved to Auckland with my family, Tamakini Kodo. And the journey that I had as far as Jesus is concerned is my, my mother came from uh, a church situation where she thought God was a great idea. She loved him actually. She thought he was marvelous. But she didn't understand that you weren't allowed to dance or swim on a Sunday. So she kind of left the church for a while, but she held on to the values. She married my father, and my father's situation, he was from Nelson. They're both kind of from the Nelson region. Um, his situation was that he grew up in a cult, so they had to go to church every single day, and his mother died of appendicitis needlessly because the church believed in the motor car, but not the radio, the television, or medicine. So there were some tricky things there, and he was like, God is not for me, and church definitely isn't. But when they got married and had kids, they thought, hey, I think our children ought to go to Sunday school. This is a good thing. We enjoyed it as children. These are good principles and values that we believe in. We're going to send them to Sunday school. So I went to Sunday school from a very young age. And I think I gave my heart to the Lord at probably 7, 8, 11, 12, I think, and 15. So, you know, my journey was, you know, you're with your friend and they're like, do you want to go up the front? I'm like, yeah, I'll come with you. So... Is that horrible ringy, or is it okay? It's horrible ringy, eh? Try this one. Try this one? Oh, we swapped mics. Meredith gave me her mic. Some guy defeated. Hello. Nah, it's still pretty yuck. Anyway, uh, so as a 15, we moved to England, and as a 15-year-old, um, that was the crux for me as far as Jesus was concerned. It's horrible. I'm now onto walkers. <laughs> as far as Jesus was concerned, I was, I was like, I, my parents believed this. They both came back to faith, probably because we were hanging out in church. And they both had am amazing testimonies of coming back to God. And as a 15-year-old who'd only done very garden variety sins, I, you know, not praying enough and stuff like that. Um, at 15, I thought, what, what is... What is this? Is this real? This is, this is the faith of my parents, but as a burgeoning young person, is this my faith? D do I belong to this God, and does he belong to me? And um, so I made a decision for myself as an adult, as a 15-year-old, that me and Jesus were in to this adventure together because I tried to imagine my entire life, like what I could achieve, and it, 
I, and, you know, it came up okay. And then I tried to imagine my entire life with Jesus' ideas for my life. And I was just like, I pick that one. Like, yes, God's plan for my life. Like, God's idea of life and adventure or mine. Yep, easy. So, so that was me and, and that was a journey of being um, kind of, I want to say boring, but it's not right. Being a good student, a firstborn female, living in a predominantly Pākehā household, a.k.a. entirely Pākehā. Um, and my, my, my grandma, my, I have searched for Māori ancestry, eh? Because, like, I love Tao Māori. I've searched, there's not a sausage, nothing. <laughs> not a tiny bit of blackness anywhere. Not even mildly mustard-coloured, nothing. So, um, but my grandmother used to sing with the Māori choir in Picton. And I love that. This tiny white lady with white hair. And she, she toured the country with them. So for me, growing up and um, I guess becoming New Zealand's Christian virgin on television. I was on television from the ages of 21 to approximately 41. Finished with breakfast television. Was known as a person of faith. And then focused on my family. And started working with Parenting Place and said to Jesus one time, hey, I think I want to learn more. I want to know more. Shall I study psychology, creative writing, or I'd love to learn te reo Māori? And uh, we started up learning classes and Tuaka said, why don't you come on board? So my journey with Tao Māori or Māori worldview and te reo Māori, spoken Māori, is two years young. So it's, I'm, a, I'm a baby on this journey. But we'll talk hopefully a bit more about the journey it's been. Um, to give you a kind of a, a nutshell, it's been like falling in love with my own life all over again. Because all of a sudden there's new language. There's a new way of seeing my Father God. There, there are new words to describe revelation or creation or something simple. So, so there's um, story and poetry and parable. And, and I think in anything when we're people... You know, how do you take a hold of something without let going of something? I thought what you said was so beautiful to Waka. She had to let go of her Māoriness when she first got to the city in that Pākehā environment. And then she started to, you know, reintegrate and bring all her Māoriness back into that. And when, when we fall in love with something, and I think I've fallen in love a little bit with Tao Māori, I, like, start to get frustrated with Pākehā, where well, you don't clap in Tao Māori, we don't applaud Hi, hi, daughter. Uh, and, 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 you know, we don't sit on tables. And people can be like, oh, you don't need to be so. It's not tauranga, you know. But actually, sometimes we swing a bit. Like when people become Christians and they go feral on it, you know. They're like those crazy Christians that just everything. So I'm, swing, I'm in the swing trajectory of, okay, I love to own Māori when it's, when it's in its beautiful, healthy expression and I love to old Pākehā. I love also our worldview. And how do we, how do we get to swing together? Like, how are we going to swing together? I don't have to reject who I was to to embrace who I'm becoming. That's me. Ah, kia ora tātou. E te kāme te kunga mihi ki tō tātou rungarawa. Ah, he ki iho ki ngā mate huhua o te wā. Whai noa ki a tātou wā te marea. Uh, e noho pi karikari ana, no rere tēnei au e mihi atu uh, ki a koutou, ara ki a tātou. Uh, I te puake au i te whārau o, o tautahi, uh, mō ngā tau i te kaumāwha, uh, whaimuri tēnei hūnuku au uh, ki here taunga, ki te rohe o te hauke, 
te kariti, mō ngā tau erima, ka tahirā, ka hari au ki tāmaki, hei whai ngā mahi hoia o Tangaroa, ngā mahi taua meki, whai muri tēnā hoki au ki konei, ki te rohe o Waikato, ai hapu wai, tōku hoa tikila, me ngā mahi hānga whare, ngā mahi piriki, i nānei tōnu ke te whare wānanga o Waikato au, e whai ana i te tohu pairua, nōku te whiwhi, nōku te honore, ki te noho nei, ki te taha o ngā wahine e rua, me taha, me te toha toha whakaaro, te tohe whakaaro hoki, me te whakautu pātai o aua momo, aua momo āhua tanga, hihikakana ki a tātou katoa, nō reira kia ora rā tātou. Kia ora everybody, my name is Ritane, I grew up down in Christchurch and then went to a Māori boarding school up in Hawke's Bay. I got sent because I was being a little bit mischief down south. And then straight out of Kura, joined the Navy, I was there for about three, four years and then came down here when my wife got pregnant and became a bricklayer. I was doing bricklaying for about four years maybe. And then um, decided to go to university, wanted to be a teacher. Um, then halfway through it, decided I didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> and then just sort of mucked around for a bit, just got in and out. And now I'm back there this year just doing my master's. So I've sort of done a fair bit of things. Um, just to share a little bit of uh, with you guys about um, how, how I became a Christian. So I didn't grow up in, in a Christian home, um, but I was actually here when I was playing uh, rugby league for the Hamilton City Tigers. Um, and there was just a group of, group of fellas, there must have been about five or, yeah, four or five of them, that were all Christian, all part of a church, a local church at the time called Link. Um, and just at the end of the season, I hit them up to see if I could start coming to church um, and just fell in love with it. Uh, and then about a few years ago, so it was Link then when I joined, and now it's called uh, Te Rautini. And so I think for me, being a Christian and a Māori, um, yeah, I think, like, so my boarding school as well was Anglican Māori boarding school. So there was always, there was never that separation between um, Christianity and uh, Te Ao Māori. Because as much as we were at Kura, uh, you know, they were, were deeply immersed in our Te Ao Māori as much as we were, I suppose, the Anglican faith and their teachings. And then going to Link or Te Rautini, um, man, they were just like embracing to old Māori like nothing. But I was like, oh, fuck, this is pretty mean, eh? Like, and they were like buzzing out. They were like, fuck, can you call it old Māori, bro? I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, like a little bit. They were like, whoa, fuck. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty cool, but just super, I think, um, grateful for the journey that I've been on. And um, just regards to having felt that, that disconnect, but um, can see it and feel it. Uh, especially when my, oh, especially when other Maori are sharing in their experiences of what church is like. So, yeah, being a Christian for only probably about yeah uh, five years maybe. Yeah, so yeah, kia ora. Kia ora, Ritane. Kia ora, Petra. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're just going to get straight into some some questions or some pathai, um that have already been sent in over the weekend. Um, just a little bit to add um, in terms of how I grew up. My dad was the um, president of the Black Power. So I grew up in a community environment that looked quite different to church. 
but I reckon a little bit better um, in terms of what it meant to do community well. Um, my dad was committed to that cause with his whole heart and um, he served that beast of a thing um, all my life, went in and out of prison. Um, and so when, when I became a Christian and they started talking about the Father's heart, I was like, what the heck does that even mean? Because he wasn't around. And um, as I do need, I remember um, just before he passed away, so I lost both of my parents when I was 21, my dad, and when I was 23, my mum. And I remember my dad saying just before he passed away that he, had, that he loved me for the first time. And um, thankfully, because there were men in the church that, I, um, that became father figures in my life, um, and they, they were kind of showing me what the, a father figure looked like within church, in a church context, um, I met God in that space. And um, so I lost my parents, but I knew that they both, um, even though they were both Māori, both grew up in a predominantly Māori communities, um, that there was this something in them that knew that God was into um, not just me, but the family. And so um, as I grew up and w- once my parents had passed away, I was kind of like, what the heck is this God thing about? Um, and so I think then when I moved home from Auckland back to Waitara, I started um, delving back into what it meant to be a Māori. And that's where I found Jesus again. That's where I re-encountered Jesus was when I went home and started for, like going through my genealogy and then um, at the end of that six years, I moved back to Auckland. Um, I started at the parenting place, um, helped the parenting place go on, or I start asking these questions that we're asking in this room. And um, now um, myself and a few others have split off from parenting place and are starting an organisation called Oati, where we're having these conversations and helping churches and organisations to ask why we should engage with Te Ao Māori. And so that's just a little more of what I do every day. Um, and so let's just start off with a question. Again, um, if, you, if you have any questions and you want to text them through, they, um, any question is a good question. Um, if you think it's a dumb question, please just flick it through. Um, I'll filter the questions. Um, so let's start off with you, Ditane. How do you feel when you are asked to speak on behalf of all Māori or when people expect you to represent Māori? Um, yeah, I mean, I think just straight off, off the bat, like I, I don't think I can um, fully do that to what they're asking me to do. Um, you know, I can't represent all Māori, but I can be a voice to... Um, maybe that which is unknown for non-Māori. So I might have my views on um, certain aspects of te ao Māori, but again, you know, you would probably find uh, Māori with different views regarding that, you know, te ao Māori and, and different aspects. So, you know, and like I feel the weight of that as well and that sort of expectations. And um, it can, for me, you know, I, I can get a little bit intimidated by that, especially being... Um, in a church context, and then it's like, oh, you know, well, what do you think, Ritane? It's like, well, here's what I think, but again, like, you know, so it's, 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 it's for me, it's like just trying to, just trying to remind myself that, you know, I have an independent voice separate to what other Māori might have, and to be kapai with that and to be okay with that and not try to generalise 
um, you know, specific answers. So, yeah, I mean, it is a tough one, you know, I reckon, yeah. And I, um, I, I remember when someone asked me that question once, um, I said, what do Pākehā think of death? And you can imagine, like, everyone has very different um, thoughts and ideas around death, so it was, like, similar to that, like... So what, what do Pākehā think of certain things? That's a real big question. Um, Petra, um, has it changed the way you see and engage with God going on this journey around Te Māori? I'm going to say yes, it has. Because uh, to give you an example, I grew up in New Zealand and most everybody I knew, unless they'd had an accident or some other issue, could walk and could swim. So being a human meant you could walk and you could swim. I went to live in England, and it turned out swimming was optional. But I had no idea about that because the world I grew up in, every other human I knew could walk and swim. And then I was meeting humans who walked and didn't swim. And they were just as awesome as humans. So when we grow up in a space or a place or a way of doing things, we think that is the way because it's our way and it's all we know. And so I think for me engaging in our Māori is, ah, oh, so you can pray without speaking, so you can worship without singing, so God can be as Māori as he is white as he is Jewish, as he is African. It's this expansion of who God is. And you come across new names for God. Like, you know, there was a wee fashion of, oh, it's Yahweh became a song we sang. And it's like, oh, that's a sacred name of God. And then I came across Io Matuakore, which means the parentless one or without parents, no parents. The, the first born, you know, the first. And I'm like, oh, that's a new way of seeing my God, it's a new understanding, a new revelation. So for me, um, probably in addition to my faith through Te Ao Māori is to um, embrace and say yes to a bigger, more expansive, um, more variety, more outsidish kind of a God. Like there's a very outsidishness to me in Te Ao Māori. Like God is in the trees and in the wind and in the... You know, we were at the, if you were at the Sunday morning meeting this morning and there was a wind that came through, it just, mangari means the, a lazy wind. You know, so there's this, I'm, I'm referencing, oh, there's the breeze that's blowing through. It's like the presence of God. And then there's another word, mangari. And, and so that's, this, it feels to me like a fullness. Um, to either of you can answer this. Um, how do we make our churches safe places for Māori? I'm not a Māori, so. I don't know, I just guess I'm crayfish. Oh, <laughs> Kai, Kai time. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> hey, like, man, that's a tough question. I don't know if I know. I've, I felt very safe uh, when I started going to, going to church, but I can see maybe, um, I suppose, from the point of view of, like, um, maybe if you are asked to renounce some of your culture, and to conform to um, the dominant culture of the church, then I think maybe um, then that would become unsafe and, and probably uncomfortable as well. So, yeah. I, I will add something, because I think for me it's the swimming, walking thing. 
growing up in the church in the 80s and 90s, we really took all of our inspo from Australia and America. So we represented what God looked like in both of those, what he sounded like and what he looked like in those countries. That's where our speakers came from. That's where our music came from. And as we've sort of matured as a nation, we're now singing our own songs. But I can imagine that if you were Maori or Asian or another ethnicity walking into a predominantly white person's church, you aren't, you, you aren't there. Your culture, who you are, isn't there. So now to go to a church that sings in te reo, that uses some words in te reo, that actually is, ah, oh, this is possibly a New Zealand way, a more fully New Zealand way of worshipping and expressing my love for God. Because it doesn't just mean white musicians, it means Māori musicians, it means Pacifica. And um, would you say it's important for all churches to intentionally incorporate te Māori and use of reo into their church culture? I would say yes, but I'm just being belligerent and enthusiastic about it. Like, I think we should do this, team. For me, there is no New Zealand Māori are nowhere else in the world. We are New Zealand. Like, you and me and Ritane and Te Waka and you, all of you, we are New Zealanders. And so Aotearoa belongs to all of us. And if we were to embrace more of who we are, that's an addition. But if it became a rule you know, one fast song, two slow songs, three three notices, you know, one Māori song, one Australian song, that, yeah, nah. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's, that's the ideal, and I suppose that's the mountain PK, but, um, man, we're still standing at the foot of the mountain, and I think that if we were to start doing that, man, we, it's not just about, you know, like Pedro was saying, that it's not just about those rules or that, too fast, one style, whatever. It's about engaging in the story and in the journey authentically and not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Or not just picking um, a nice sounding word and then chucking it into your worship song and thinking that that's, you know, that that's um, authentic. You know, so I think we, yeah, I think that's the, that's the mountain peak. But, you know, I mean, like, we just have to start the journey and what that looks like. Um, in our churches and in our faith communities and just not to be afraid of, you know, what that journey looks like for us. I mean, and you know, what people are going to get um, upset or people are going to question, you know, what's going on or people are going to get offended. But I think it all comes back to that whole whakaura and whole idea of, um, you know, reconciling, you know, and not ignoring our history of what happened you know, with all the land grabbing and all the land loss and the betrayal and the hurt and the mumwai, because there, once upon a time, and uh, once upon a time in the 19th century, we all lived together in, in quite a, harmo- a harmonious environment, but somehow through, um, you know, land loss and greed and all types of things, you know, that relationship was broken. And so this is about fixing that and reconciling that but not mistaking that for um, a ministry of mercy, okay? So not just going out there to do the right thing, but actually realising that that it's um, justice and that justice is part of um, reconciling, yeah. A picture. Why should Tauiwi or Pākehā care about the treaty and what does the treaty mean to you? Mm. I 
guess for me, the treaty is is a part of our story. And one of the lovely things about getting old is not the loss of collagen. It's the appreciation for story. It's the appreciation for where we've come from and that where we've come from informs who we are. So I've come across um, Indigenous people from Australia and other places who you might have heard the phrase, we walk into the future facing backwards. And there's this idea... and. Let's face it, we can't ignore it, despite the fact that many of us will have skipped those genealogy chapters in the Bible. God is interested in history. He's interested in the whakapapa. He's interested in how the story fits together. Like, the Bible is either a rule book or it's this incredible story of how God weaves us into himself. And so, so the story of how our nation was born and the hope it was born with and you know, I think Māori and Pākehā looked at each other and went, hey, they've got some good stuff. Let's, I'm going to partner with you. And, and hey, you've got some, this is an amazing place. I want to partner with you. So there was all this hope and opportunity. And I guess I believe that that is there. And so to understand more deeply both the hurt and the hope of the treaty gives me um, a greater understanding of who I am and who we are. And I must say that in the journey... I've been on marae several times with staff retreats and different wānanga or workshops, and I have cried and cried and cried. And I'm like, will I sit with this discomfort and will I sit with this pain? Because there is so much pain. There's, you read some stories. I'm reading some stories and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so will I face that? Will I face that my ancestors... Inflicted pain. Will I sit with the discomfort of that? And the answer is, I th- yes, I, I will. And so for me, this even the process of grieving is, is a reconciliatory process. It's this process of saying, this happened. And I can't undo it, but I can reach out with respect and with hope and hopefully with humility and with love to hope for a, for a future that was first conceived when we met. Do you have anything to add? Cool. Um, I once heard a corridor that went something like um, that question was asked and um, Rangi Kipa, who's a good friend of ours, said, um, we shouldn't need a treaty to do relationship well. And so I wonder whether that's a challenge that we go away with is how do you outwork a relationship um, because there shouldn't be a document like the treaty, because the treaty of Waitangi or Te Tiriti or Waitangi has been abused, um, and just that statement freaks people out. When you go become a nurse and you're forced into learning about the treaty of Waitangi, I think those statements um, freak some people out and, and ask the questions, why do we have to do this? But I wonder what it means to just do relationship well without Te Tiriti or Waitangi or the treaty of Waitangi. Um, is anyone brave enough to put their hand up and have a question? We can carry on with questions that are coming in. Yep. Um, matua, Rita nei. Kia ora bro. Um, <laughs> I, earlier you were talking about um, um, answering that safe place question of uh, Māori and church environments, and you were talking about what might contribute to um, an unsafe environment being the feeling of having to renounce something of your mouldiness. Um, 
I think we can agree of there's a cost of following Jesus and being part of the body. And I suppose I'm wondering, like, is, is there things that are, that are Māori that you do feel like you have had to give up? Um, yeah, but I, I suppose, like, you know, it's not the whole idea of um, romanticising everything in te ao Māori, you know, but everything that we have had to renounce, we renounced back in the 19th century, okay, when Māori started flooding the missionary schools and through that act, you know, we, um, you know, we stopped eating each other, you know, cannibalism, the human sacrifices, so all that stuff, you know, we've had to renounce. Okay, so now we're talking about Māori renouncing their culture in the 21st century, okay, there's nothing in my mind or in my experience that I can see that we need to renounce, but it's more about we need to hold on because we've lost so much. And, you know, I understand that question about, you know, following Christ requires us, you know, to, you know, to to give up stuff. But, you know, I think that's more of um, the spiritual, you know, the, the, the spiritual sinful nature of humanity, okay? Not necessarily, um, you know, our culture, um, you know, through language, bro, like, far out, man, like, you know, our language alone, okay, so if I could just point to anything, like our Māori language is still in decline, okay, but no one gives two craps, you know what I mean? Like, you know, in Pākehā, and, you know, Pākehā is still like, well, what's the point in learning and learning to Māori? Well, one, it's unique to our country of Aotearoa, okay, but the argument is, no, nah, well, let's learn Mandarin because it's beneficial to our economic society. It's like far out, man, can you guys not think of anything uh, you know, more shallow, you know, to argue against. I mean, it's all about us, you know, standing rather at the foot of the cross and taking up, you know, that challenge that Jesus laid down to us and flipping, reconciling, like, our history that we choose, you know, to ignore. And we do. We do choose to ignore it in many different facets of society, you know, right from our educational system right through to the justice system as well. You know, and it's taken years and years and years for us to get any foothold, you know, in what we're trying to do, especially in the church. I've seen it. It's like, you know, my wife's looking at me like, don't go there. <laughs> was the eyebrow. I heard of uh, a lady, it was a justice conference earlier, end of last year, and a lady had come up to a pastor that introduced a Māori song, and the lady had said, oh, look, I'm, I'm concerned about this song. Um, it doesn't say the word God in it, and I don't think we should be singing it. And, and the pastor's wife said, I, th- I, I disagree with you. I think it's, you're afraid of the language. Uh, you're afraid of what you don't know, what is different. And so that's, that's the reason you can use to, to try and wedge this out again. But, but I, think, I think you're right in terms of standing at the foot of the cross. Let's, let's go to our Heavenly Father. Let's go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Lead me in this journey. Uh, where, where, where would you like me to go? And what would you like me to do? And what would you like me to let go of? Because I grew up with a father who said, hey, um, you know, well, the reason the white people took the land is because the Māori weren't doing anything with it. So you... So the economic worldview is the worldview. Unless you are making money off the land, uh-uh, 
You are not doing anything with it. You therefore deserve to lose it. Whereas if you investigate into te Māori, they like Papa Tuanuku is our mother. So we do not sell our mother and we do not whore our mother. We don't prostitute her and, and say, you have a bit of her and for a wee while and then I'll get her back. It's, so there's this... There's a different worldview, and are we open to going, hmm, is some of my thinking just crusty thinking, or, or is it good thinking? You know, what will I believe? Because if you believe Māori are lazy and dumb and likely to be criminals, then that's what you will see, because your radar will just look for it. But if you believe Māori are... in inventive, entrepreneurial, um, in touch with nature, spiritual, musical, that is what you will see. And, and I think sometimes we have to allow our vision to change before we can see what's really true. And it's not to say there aren't many problems because I think if I had have had my language and my culture and my land and my identity taken from me, I don't think I'd be in a really healthy place. I don't think I'd be feeling confident and good and, you know, thriving. I think I'd be in a ship. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Tawaka thought I'd swear. I was going to try and prove her wrong. I think I'd be in a poor place. I think I'd be in a place of terrible poverty and despair. And then my actions and my words and my way of being would change when I was in a place of despair and hopelessness. Ritane. In education circles, we hear the phrase Māori succeeding as Māori. Um, is this phrase familiar to you and what does it mean? No, I have heard it before, Fano, but I can't. Um, yeah. Um, I can't answer it based on what, uh, or based on the context in which the term was used, but I can only just give an, um, an assumption to, you know, to what the answer is. Um, but I think, like, you know, Māori succeeding as Māori, that, you know, we're fully engaged, you know, again, with our culture, um, you know, that we're achieving... Um, and that we're contri uh, contributing, um, you know, to the economic system of Aotearoa in entrepreneurial ways um, as well. So, you know, through Māori organisations, through, um, yeah, through who we are fully in the education system. So, you know, whatever that means statistically, uh, you know, if we're beating those odds or those stereotypical odds that Māori... Um, are more likely to fail when it comes to NCEA level one, two, and three, um, then I think that's what it... I can only assume that that's what it means, you know, that we're beating those statistics and that we're finishing kura and that we're moving on to higher education, whatever that looks like. Mm. Petra, what have Pākehā got to lose by going on a journey around Te Ao Māori? Oh, lots. You might lose prejudice, probably use some ignorance. You'd lose some bigotry. Yep, you're apes to lose. Definitely don't do it. <laughs> Sorry. That was sarcasm, which is really a very low form of wit. Um, oh, like, oh, Fano, it so hurts. I'm, like, I, I, I'm hurting because, seriously, this is like, oh, you know, I, I grew up. Our own media have fed us lines like, oh, the, another treaty settlement, more and more money for Māori. It's terrible. We are having to pay them 
all this money. This is, you know, whining and moaning about the cash. And I heard that at a certain point in our history, when um, Alan Hubbard's Southland Bank, which had a government guarantee, fell over. Anybody remember Heartland Bank? And it, and it fell over. And all these really clever financial people knew that a government guarantee meant that they could not lose their money. So the government paid out overnight the sum total of all treaty settlements up to that date. And nobody moaned and groaned and got angry about it. I mean, we whinged for like half a minute, a nanosecond, and then we moved on. And what we're seeing today is the birth of a Māori economy. So we've gone through these birthing pains, and, and I heard somebody say that treaty settlements are like divorce, which is a sad thought. It's like saying, okay, here's your money, take it and go. But the thing about the land is, it's here. And, and all of a sudden, I am seeing, when I say all of a sudden, I have become aware of iwi and different groups of people who are, who are building this Māori economy. Guess what? They're staying. They're investing in our people, in our land. Why is it them and us? Why? In our hearts, it's them and us. I, I, I invite us to be we. We really need to be we. And, and even if... It doesn't mean always being understood. It doesn't mean always having people look at you nicely. Like, I used to be afraid. I used to say, oh, I just don't think Māori like me. Is that an excuse not to listen or to try or to learn? I, I had to put that excuse down because it doesn't really matter if I suffer prejudice at the hands of Māori. Like, I'm not responsible for anybody else's behaviour. I'm responsible for my behaviour. I'm going to suffer prejudice at the hands of... Anyone, potentially. Sorry, I do that all the time. But it's this idea that, you know, we've just believed these lines, like, oh, we've just spent so much. The government's, like, running out of money because of treaty settlements. But what we're doing is investing in people who are from here, who are building businesses that reinvest here, into their people here. Māori are never going to send the funds to China or or. Italy or Argentina or England or Australia, they are always going to reinvest here. The treaty settlements are probably going to turn out surprisingly well. We probably should have given Māori more money. Yeah, so I don't know what the question was. <laughs> Just going on that um, treaty settlement, did you know that um, in treaty settlements, iwi get given back, obviously, money, and they get given back um, bits of land but some of those bits of land um, or are the bottom of lakes and the side of cliffs. And so that's kind of just another little thing to chuck in there that we don't realise is they do get given back land, but often they're bits of land that we actually can't do anything with. So we own heaps of cliffs in Taranaki. Um, any other questions on the ground? Do you want to yell it out?
I'm going to, I, th I feel like you've answered, asked your question. I'm going to repeat it for the recording. A church that has no Māori members, should it be expected to adopt the Māori culture? Te waka? I think, you, I think nobody's expected to do anything. I think no, there's no expectation that everybody has to, always. But we each of us choose what will we do this day in terms of maybe our attitude toward... When we read the newspaper and we see another Māori's gone to prison, what will we think and say? What will, we, what will our attitude be when we own a store and we see a bunch of Māori girls coming through the door? Will we, you know... I, mm. um, I will say that I think... First thing is I think the church has a role to play in reconciliation because that's what I think God has... Um, that's kind of... We choose to have a relationship with God... And so I think, man, if we as the church and as Christians can understand what that reconciliation means, then I think we'll be able to outwork what the treaty represents. Um, and that means, um, it might not necessarily mean in um, speaking te reo on the stage at church or singing Māori songs. Like I would be, it was like when I first went to Parenting Place, someone got really angry that they hadn't done a pōwhiri for me, but I was like, they don't know how to do a pōwhiri. Like, I wouldn't expect them to do a pōwhiri for me. Um, and we've been on this beautiful journey. So I think it's similar to that is um, I don't think your church needs to speak te reo or sing te reo songs because that's, like, just one or two elements of what a cultural, Māori cultural experience is. Um, is your church teaching the history of Aotearoa? Is your church engaging in conversations around language and school. So I think there's heaps of other questions that go with that question. Um, and I think my desire is that the church would start having this conversation so that we, we have the answers, because the church should have the answers to some of the questions that are out in society, and I don't think we've got the answers sometimes. So that's probably my question slash answer to your question. Do you have anything to add? No, just totoko, um these two, but I think like the expectation is... Um, you know, not externally, but internally. So, you know, I think, you know, if we look around churches, hold, you know, house massive influence, you know, in this country. You know, from the people who sit in our con uh, congregations, whether it be, you know, um, media influences or MPs or whatever. So if we're thinking that principal, school teachers, lawyers, judges, okay, People who almost have the, you know, who help shape the way people think, okay? And so if they're sitting there every Sunday or they're going to home groups or they're going to men's groups, breakfast groups, whatever, and then all the conversations around those tables are just slamming the t uh, stereotypical Māori, then what happens when they step out of their church bubble, okay? Okay, so their prejudice or their stereotypical view, uh, views of Māori are going to subconsciously, whether they do it intentionally or not, are going to, you know, overflow into their work environments, okay? But I think we have a, um, have an obligation and an expectations as Christians or, or whatever, you know, to change our whakaaro, um and change the conversations, change the terminology and language we use when we talk about... Um, Indigenous people of Aotearoa, but also Indigenous people around the uh, around the world. 
Side note, it was Australia Day yesterday. You know, far out, what's going on over there? Half the, half the mega influences, and I'm talking church leaders, you know, they're busy wishing everybody an Australia Day when it's like, bro, like far out, this is your chance you know, to really stamp your mark on justice and instead of raising, you know, an issue because you're too scared of the political kickback, you're just wishing everyone a happy Australia Day. It's like, come on, man, like, with the church, eh? Like, you know, we should be, you know, we should be more courageous and have bigger kahunas than that. So, yeah, kia ora. And we, we get to decide what we stand for, I think. Do we... Do we stand for reconciliation? So often, my heart breaks in the media. You know, the media finds somebody who's happy to be against everything. And the church becomes knowing as the the naysayers and the knowers and the shouldn'ts and the couldn'ts. And we're known for what you're not supposed to do and what we don't like and what we want to see stopped. And we want to... I I want us to be known for what what we do do. And so much of that happens behind the scenes. But it's like, how can we be known as a hub of reconciliation as a group of people who are practising in, in reality what reconciliation looks like because we serve a God of reconciliation. Question, how can Pākehā or white or tauiwi churches then invite cultural awareness in? Um, I think, yeah, I think there's Māori everywhere, there's iwi offices everywhere um, around the country, so I think that could be a first point of call. Um, Not every Māori is going to know what to do, but I think um, there are, depending on what denomination you're connected to, there's often Māori arms of that. Um, There's Oati which is the organisation that we've just started, which again, we don't have the answers, but we're just starting... Um, by helping people do that, so there are books, aren't there? There are. There's Google. There's a fr- books. A friend of ours, Jay Ruka, wrote "Who Come Home." He spoke here last year. It's a wonderfully readable uh, introduction to the history of the gospel in New Zealand. It's a great story. It's like a story we are part of. So it's worth reading. And if you try something and it doesn't work, who's ever been to a conference or a or an inspirational speech thing, and they go home and they're like, I am going to go home, I'm going to change. And you try it, and you meet with initial resistance, like, Mum, stop trying those new parenting techniques on me. And you think, oh, I'm in a worse place than I was before, because I had hope, and now my hope is gone. It's like, we're going to meet with resistance here. Like, try something. If it doesn't work, talk to a friend and try something else. Like, this is a, this is a journey worth pursuing. Yeah. Um, we're just about to wrap up, but um, one thing that I, and sorry if you've heard me speak before, I say this to every crowd that I speak to, one thing you can try is pronouncing words properly. That is a form of reconciliation that you don't need any Māori consultant to help you with. Um, you can, some of us don't know how to roll our R's or um, say, ask your children, they'll tell you how to say things properly. Um, and they're often correcting their parents now, which thank the Lord that that's kind of this, the education system has helped to bring that. But just by pronouncing names right is a form of reconciliation and reconciliation with a culture and a language. And people like um, probably Petra now, but Ritane and I, when we hear um, correct pronunciation as a Māori, um, there's something in us that's happy and our souls feel satisfied by just hearing a kia ora. It's like love. It's like love. 
It is. Yeah. It's so lovely. It's like being lovely. And it doesn't mean you won't get it wrong. It's not about getting it right, is it? Yeah. But it's about going on the learning journey. I interrupted. And so just keep keep that in mind just as something to go away with. Is like if you if you go away thinking, how how can I do something? Maybe just start pronouncing um, the names that you the sh- you drive you may even live on a Maori street name. You know, your street may be a Maori name that you don't call the right name. Maybe just start there. Just start saying, because I remember, and I talk about this all the time, I remember going to um, a place where my friends, her husband would say it wrong and the wife would say it right and the son was confused. And um, I said to both of them, do you think um, he is going to say it right or wrong growing up? And the reality is he lives in, they go to this community where everybody says it wrong. So he's going to continue to say it wrong. So I challenge you to go out and start maybe practicing some real basic to deal without any help. Um, if you initially need some help, come and see us um, after the session. Or download the Māori Dictionary app and there's a speaker button after the word. So if you're looking for how to say tauranga, it's recorded there. You can say tauranga. My daughter came to me and went, Mum, that road we used to live on, kite nui, you know, people say kakite, which is I will see you again, kakite. It's kite nui. She goes, it's a Māori word. I had no idea. Kite, see you, nui, big view. It means big view. And so she was like, oh, yay. And she says kite nui now instead of kite nui. Kite nui. Um, so um, let's just wrap up. So do you want to leave these guys with any um, positive, uplifting... <laughs> Um, Māori words um, that will encourage their conversations when they leave this place. It's too much whānau. Um, no, I don't know, way. Like, yeah, tu meke. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to, like, encourage Simon. them? You can say yeah. whatever you like. This Man, is your last fa- opportunity. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, awesome whānau. Just awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, can't fight. You fellas are here, you fellas are listening to some kōrero, which is cool. Uh, whatever you fellas do with it, you know, that's up to you guys, eh? But, you know, just, yeah, be encouraged if you've started the journey, kāpai. If you haven't, then that's kāpai as well, you know? Awesome. I'm going to say the word kai ora. So this is just a, this is a word I fell in love with. Ora, we say kia ora all the time, kia ora. Ora is, is kind of a word for life or wellness. So when you say kia ora to someone, you're saying blessings or wellness to you. And kai ora is a word for Lord. So if you, you know how we say work. If you work, you do work. And if you're a worker, you're a worker. If you sing, you're a singer. And if you cook, you're a cooker. No, you're not. Um, but it's, it's, it's different in Māori. You put kai on the front of the word. Don't get confused. Um, so waiata is song. Kai waiata is singer. And... Um, uh, Mahi is work, kai mahi is worker. So this word for Lord is the word of wellness or life, plus the word er, with the middle word, which is the doing of it, foka. So you heard, um, what was the word for thought? Fokaro. Fokaro is the word for thought, because um, that's the word. It's like making thoughts. So if you foka something, you're doing it. So this is confusing, eh? So, kai, but this is, let me, stay with me. <laughs> stay with me. So, kai ora is a word for Lord, but all of a sudden I re- realised it was made up of these three parts, which was maker of life, like 
creator of health and wellness. Like, person who, God who, God who makes blessing. And I was like, ah, which means God is still actively doing this. He's actively creating wellness, blessing, life. Not, Not in the past, but in the future and now. And so for me, like, you can take a word like that away with you, and, and it's like a gift because he is creating in us always. The action is happening in you. Whether you take a te ao Māori journey or not, a te reo Māori journey or not, you know, invite that creator into your way of being. Kia ora. And I do encourage you all to go um, away and keep talking about this, even if you disagree with what we're talking about, keep talking about it, because the beauty about this is that the conversation is alive in this country, um, and we get to be a part of it, and we get to have a voice in this, and so may you um, go away and continue the conversation. Um, If any of you have questions that you want to come and ask us um, before you leave, we'll we'll hang around for a bit, um, or, or spot us around the place. And um, repeat after me. A, A, E, E, O, U. Again, A, E, E, O, U. Let's just play. We'll just play one last game before you guys go. Stay there. Okay, we're going to split this into A. So this group, A, E. Put yourselves into the groups. E, E. Or One more time. Okay, we're going to sing happy birthday, but with the A, E, E, O, U. Okay, so I'm going to point at your group and you're going to go A, 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 E, 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 O, U, 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 E, Kabai, got it? Here we go. Okay, one more time. Let's go. Here we go. Okay, let's start with the (laughs) Okay, here we go. Two, one more time. Okay, let's sing it a little bit louder. Let's start with the oohs. Toru, fa. Kia ora tato. Thanks for coming. To our panelists. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to honour you for the heart you've shown and the love that you've displayed today. Thank you. For more episodes, go to festival.one.